Well, Keontae George is one of the highest profile one and done players in the NBA draft cycle this season, but will his inefficient scoring hold him back on draft night? You are locked on college basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and joined today by Leaf Tuline of the M- Locked On NBA Big Board. Leaf and I, we're going to continue the series that was started last week with Isaac discussing different players who have declared for the NBA draft, what their draft prospects look like, potential team fits, their pros, their cons, all of that good stuff. For those of you who missed it, we did post a poll on Twitter. So if you are not following us on Twitter, do so right now at Locked on CBB on Twitter. You can find us there. We are going to be posting polls asking everybody who they want to hear about next. Well, of course, between now and June, we have so many different draft prospects to cover. We'll talk Cam Whitmore. We'll talk Nick Smith Jr. We'll talk Jairus Walker. We'll talk Taylor Hendricks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So many different players to cover between now and June. But today, Leaf and I are going to talk about Keontae George. And George is kind of an interesting case because I think he came into this season with these top 10 expectations. Like when you, when you haven't played a college basketball game yet and you're already projected to be a top 10, top five, in some cases, pick in the NBA draft, I think a lot of times you have almost nowhere to go but down. It's really difficult to keep and maintain that level of production that level of hype around you for an entire season and certainly like what we're not talking about nick smith jr who definitely had a, a more precipitous fall we are going to talk about kalel Ware in the second segment who incidentally uh was maybe not a top five prospect before the season but was in that top 10 conversation and now is not entering the nba draft he's going to indiana we'll talk about that but i want to talk about your thoughts about keontae george because i think his, ineff- his numbers were inefficient. I don't think there's any secret about that. He averaged 15 points per game for a team that f- finished with a three seed and was a very, very good squad throughout the year, especially offensively. So it's not like he had a bad season. But I want to get, before we get into the nitty-gritty leaf, I want to get your kind of general thoughts on Keontae George's freshman season and how it kind of compared to maybe the preseason expectations that were put on him before he started his career. Well, I think the fact that he played as like the Team USA, but it was just mm-hmm. the Baylor team subtracted with the two other best players in Adam yeah. Flagler and uh, LJ Cryer not mm-hmm. playing, and he was able to carry that burden phenomenally. Mm-hmm. Like he scored 32 and 37 points respectively against Canada and Italy's U23 yeah. teams. And there were some talented players on those teams. Um, and the fact, the fact he was able to do that in, I think it was July, mm-hmm. made it so that when, when you expected him to transition to college, maybe mm-hmm. he wouldn't score that many, but he'd be an automatic score. And yeah. at times he was, but mm-hmm. I think he had a, t- a tough time transitioning to playing as an off-ball guard as mm-hmm. Adam Flagler was their point guard. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it showed because at times he was a very good scorer when the ball was in his hands a lot. But when when games got tighter, they tended to put the ball in Flagler's hands. And I think George kind of, I don't want to say became disinterested, mm-hmm. but he just have the same swagger that he played Mm with in the the games Uh, i forget what those were called but they were they were awesome to watch in the u23 Mm -hmm. or baylor represented the united states uh here's a stat and shout out to my guy richard stamen of of locked on nba big Mm -hmm. Four. keontae george's first 18 games 
17.7 points per game, 3.4 assists per game, 4.8 rebounds per game, 1.1 steals per game on 40, 36, 81 shooting splits. His last 15 games, 12.5 points per game, 1.9 assists per game, 3.3 rebounds per game, 1.1 steals per game on 34, 30, and 76 shooting splits. So what do you a, make of that? Because oh, like, it's not like – because we have seen freshmen kind of – wilt a little bit as the season goes on it's a longer season than they're typically used to the big 12 is an absolute just gauntlet to say the least uh how much i mean he's he's about to go into an 80 82 game schedule and nba teams are better than big 12 teams they're not necessarily as physical in some ways and there are some differences but how much does a player having that kind of drop off in the season? And again, there's other factors here, like you mentioned, whether he's as comfortable playing off the ball, stuff like that. But how much do you make of a player just kind of struggling in the second half of a season uh, when it's really the only, I mean, it's the only year you have to go off when, if you're an NBA scout looking at Keontae George, you can't look at his other college season. This is it. This is all you have. What do you, what do you make of that? Uh, I think you have to factor in the situation of playing on ball versus off ball because mm-hmm. from the general managing standpoint or just from a scouting perspective, I think if you're going to take Keontae George high, mm-hmm. that means you're going to give him the reins to your team yeah. and, and be the point guard. Um, and, you know, he's never going to be a true, true point guard, but he can be a combo guard. But if you're mm-hmm. going to take him with a high selection, that means probably that you're, you see him as your point guard of your future, someone mm-hmm. to handle Brock. And, and I think the evaluation becomes trickier because he didn't play that right. and, and his efficiency suffered. Uh, mm-hmm. From my perspective, I did not like the way that he played in Denver. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to the games in Denver uh, and, and he, he seemed a little pouty, even against yeah. the team yeah. in Santa Barbara, where they were mm-hmm. significantly better than the Gauchos. Yeah. Um, he, he was not making much of a factor like Dale Bonner was probably more effective in those type of settings than he was against Creighton and uh, Santa Barbara question here being how bad was his ankle? Yeah. Uh, he, he hurt his ankle with about three weeks left in the season. Mm-hmm. So at that point it's probably in a month and he just never fully looked right. So let's just say eyeball it seven, eight games of those 15 that I mentioned where his stats dropped precipitously were mm-hmm. after an ankle injury. Um, So from a scouting perspective, I dropped him mostly for mannerisms, not talent. He still showed the flashes of, Mm -hmm. hey, this is what the guy can do. Like he's got a skill set that is reminiscent to me of Jamal Murray. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had him top six, top seven entering the year. And now he's number 14 on my board. So he has dropped, but he hasn't fallen out of my lottery. I, Mm -hmm. I really do think that he's a guy that it's, it's a risk just because you're going to be turning. Like, if you're going to make that commitment, mm-hmm. he's going to be your guy or your number two. He's not really a, a fit in plug and play role player that, that right. is a win now guy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So there is a risk, but there is certainly a reward to picking Kathy George as well. Absolutely. And I, and I love that you kind of touched on that, that plug and play situation, because that's such a, an intense evaluation that that people have to go through of like do we want a guy that we can just grab and fit into a role and he immediately fills that role but maybe the upside is a little bit lower or do we want a guy who the upside is really high but we're going to need to kind of hand over the keys of the kingdom because for george like i can absolutely see just from an eye test perspective having watched him play like yeah this could be our lead guard but when you look at some of the data you look at some of the numbers i mean 33 percent from deep isn't 
awful, but it's not great. 42% on two-pointers is definitely not ideal, and he had more turnovers than assists. So I think there's definitely some things to look at. Uh, and again, you kind of mentioned the, the midseason split and the ankle injury and his role being kind of altered a little bit with Adam Flagler. And, and of course, all of that plays a role. But I do wonder just how how much risk is associated with potentially trying to give Keontae George a big role? Because again, the talent is there, but there is some indication that, that, you know, it, it would probably be a bit of a roller coaster if you were to do that to him uh, as a young NBA player. Yeah. I think there's certainly places that it would be easier than, sure. than not. Like you could kind of lean him in and, and mm-hmm. put him at a six man where he runs the second unit. And really, and that's a, good segue to what you really want from his as his career however that said if you're picking at let's say nine like i'm I'm a Utah jazz fan and i don't think he fits the parameters of what the jazz are looking Mm -hmm. for in their guard that they're going to be taking Mm -hmm. but if you're picking there i think you don't want to ease him in as a six-man type i think you want to throw him into the fire And, and that's something i could see the early returns being negative for Keontae George, just it's it, that's a huge step up to be the lead guy. And what you last saw him on the court was a disinterested guy playing yeah. against NBA caliber guards and creating it and and not looking very good, even though they're only a year older in school. Right. Like I I really think that there's a a negative. Um, that said, I've heard reports that he was playing at a higher weight. Baylor wanted mm-hmm. him to play heavier, and he didn't feel feel quick. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wonder if that he looks quicker. And that's one of my biggest knocks is mm-hmm. he doesn't really create separation driving. He just does it on step back, which is impressive. Mm-hmm. Right. And it looks good, but it's it's only somewhat effective. So mm-hmm. I, I am curious to see if he's able to be more of a downhill threat mm-hmm. in, at the NBA level, especially in the summer league, um, if he is if he would rather pay 15 pounds lighter. Right. Well, George never seemed to waver on being a one and done, but the player we're going to talk about in the next segment, Leaf, is Oregon former Oregon Ducks center Kalel Ware. Ware made the decision to stay in school after a tough freshman year for Dana Altman. Now he's hit the portal and is joining Mike Woodson and the Hoosiers of Indiana. What do we think of that fit? We will tell you right after a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. If you are looking for a delicious snack, but you do not want all the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. You have got to try this. If you're like me and you want to make a healthier snack choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste, then I've got just the thing for you. Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing that you will not think they are good for you. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real dark chocolate. Real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better, they're good for you. They have only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specific specialty flavors at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
All right, Leaf, switching gears, moving out of the Big 12 and the NBA draft conversation with Keontae George to move to the Big 10 and talk about a player that often showed up right next to Keontae George on mock drafts way back in August, September, October, before the NBA draft season started. Keontae George may have been slightly disappointing, at least from an efficiency standpoint for Baylor, but probably not at the same level as Kaleo Ware for the Oregon Ducks. Uh, Ware just never really found his footing in Eugene. He averaged 6.6 points, four rebounds, 1.3 blocks per game, shot under 28% from deep. He was kind of touted as this rim protecting big who could also stretch the floor on the other end. And, and I think you, you definitely saw glimpses of that, especially early in the year. He played a lot of big minutes for, for the Ducks kind of in their first part of the season. But then as the year went on, Nafali Dante was healthy. He played a big role. Nate Biddle played a big role for the Ducks as well. And Ware just kind of fell out of the rotation, lost playing time down the stretch. Uh, like we said, didn't even declare for the draft, despite being a guy that showed up in the lottery of, of many, many, many mock drafts and was still showing up on mock boards even as the season went on and as his production continued to stagnate. And now he decides, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to the draft. I'm hitting the portal. I'm going to Indiana. I'm going to join Mike Woodson's team as a potential replacement for Trace Jackson Davis. And I kind of want to get your initial thoughts. We, of course, don't know the entire entirety of what Indiana's roster is going to look like. We don't know what any team's roster is fully going to look like. That is the beauty and struggle of the transfer portal. But right now, kind of penciling Kalel Ware into a big role for Indiana. What do you kind of think about that potential fit for him? Uh, I think it's an interesting one, regardless of the rest of their roster, just based mm. on the way the Big Ten plays. The Big Ten's sure. the most rugged league in terms of uh, kind of old school back to the basket bigs being featured mm. for the past couple of years. And just to give you a, an idea, if you, if you refresh your mind, like Luca Garza, mm. Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson, mm. yeah. Zach Eady, obviously. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so for a guy who prides himself as a, a skillful big, um, mm -hmm. A guy who can uh, impact the rim defensively and then shoot threes offensively. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting fit. He could thrive there. I am curious about how he does defensively because if he's able to withstand it there, um, yeah. I, I think it would be pretty impressive. Uh, this was not the destination I expected from where. Um, mm -hmm. And then just, just a quick aside while we were kind of talking about the draft stuff mm -hmm. uh, in the segment prior, I think that he got so much hype just for traits rather than production. Like he was a late yeah. bloomer. And then they're like, man, look at this guy blocked a few shots, hits a few threes. I bet he's a lottery pick uh, mm -hmm. personally. And I'll admit this full, fully. I don't watch a ton of high school basketball, but mm -hmm. I try to watch all the guys that are considered lottery picks. And sure. he was the one I was least impressed with by, mm -hmm. by any of the 20, 25 players that I, I watched. Mm -hmm. And so I, I never had him very high. But even so, like I still expected him to be a large contributor on Oregon team, and he really wasn't. Yeah. So at Indiana, they kind of ran an archaic offense through to TJD on the block. Are they going to mm -hmm. adjust it to be a pick and pop or something mm -hmm. that fits Ware's game? I'm curious about that, and obviously it's dependent on who's on the team because you'd think mm -hmm. they'd run a lot of pick and roll with a guy like Jalen Huchifino, who could be a top 20 pick in the NBA draft, and an All-American TJD. But what do I know? So, so I, I am curious <laughs> about how this fit works. I, I do think the Big Ten's good because he'll stand out as more skillful than some mm -hmm. of the bigger players he'll face. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'm really curious about where as well because, like you said, the 
for him, the defensive impact is what's going to, I think, really sell NBA teams on him. Obviously, the three-point shooting is massive, and if he can bump that from 28 to 35% this year on a, you know two or three attempts per game or even more, certainly that's going to help his NBA draft stock considerably. But to me, it's all about how he defends on the block, and he's joining a conference where that's going to be – I mean, that's a paramount skill that you need to have in the Big Ten. You're going to have big-body dudes – down on the block trying to score on you all the time like that's that's a part of big 10 basketball so for me that decision i hope that for his sake that he was making that decision with the confidence that i am capable of being a physical rim protector at this level because if that if you get exposed if you don't look and and you're gonna get scored on by zach Eady, like that's just gonna happen if hunter dickinson returns to the big 10 you're gonna get scored on by him too that's just those guys are very very good but you have to be able to prove that you can defend at that level and and I, I kind of like the uh, the machismo to, to join the Big Ten and say, look, I can do it. I can handle it. And certainly Indiana must believe that he's capable of doing so or else they wouldn't have, have brought him into what I presume is going to be a big role. And I think we'll have to, again, see how the rest of the offseason shakes out. They've already kind of made a trade with some of their bigs. They added Peyton Sparks out of Ball State. They lost Logan Duncombe to, to Xavier. Uh, they're rumored to be involved in a couple other players as well, although they aren't bigs necessarily. But it sure would be great if he could add a, a high-level scoring wing to his team like Dalton Connect from Northern Colorado or Chris Ledlam from Harvard, who, as we're recording this right now, neither of those players have committed, but both have interest in Indiana. I think there's a, a real possibility that Ledlam is, is committed to Indiana, maybe even by the time some folks are listening to this. Uh, but I am curious for where, like, what that fit exactly looks like and really what the fit in the front court looks like alongside Malik Renault, who had a solid freshman year last year for the Hoosiers, uh, 15 minutes per game, uh, six points, four boards, you know, not, not a significant outside shooter, although he did shoot 25% on a handful of attempts there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how those two guys match up because to me, the guard play obviously is going to matter for Indiana and how they kind of finish that rotation, but how Renault and where play down on the block seems like it's going to be a big catalyst for what Indiana season looks like next year. Yeah. I think you made a really strong point about Malik Renew. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a, he's a guy that I think allows where to accentuate what he does mm-hmm. best rather than have to be kind of fraudulent in what, in, in, in in order to win college basketball games, he won't have to sacrifice what he does best now is, right. the, is the way I put this mm-hmm. in theory. Malik Renew likes to operate within 15 feet and he's very mm-hmm. skillful, plays off two feet. He's got a, yeah. an array of post moves and he's got good touch. Um, he's, he's a modern, he's not a bruiser, but he, but he mm-hmm. does like to operate within the middle. So I, I think what will happen is rather than playing like two bigs on the baseline, basically with mm-hmm. TJD and race Thompson, I think they'll play high, low, with where being the high and the low mm-hmm. being renew mm-hmm. and you know they can obviously flip flop and do whatnot sure. but i'd imagine that this allows where to shoot more threes and mm-hmm. offensively he'll play the four yeah and defensively i think he'll play the five mm-hmm. and and maybe maybe instead of having him guard the bigs on the block he'll be the help defender and and just to use his shot blocking and now that does that answer the questions that we have about his physicality no mm-hmm. But it does play to his skill set. So the more I think about that, as you made that point, I was starting mm-hmm. to think to myself, well, now if this roster plays out this way, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm just kind of racking through names in my brain. Yeah. I, I can see why that was an appealing fit mm-hmm. because of Malik Renew in particular. And I, I would imagine that that 
could be what Mike Woodson sold where on. Like that makes sense to me that we would sell you on, Hey, you're going to be a high big, you're going to get an opportunity to shoot some threes. You're going to get an opportunity, you know, like those kind of things seem like they would be appealing to him in terms of what he was looking for to showcase his skill set uh, in his next season. I, I don't know if he's planning to be a two and done guy, if that's his goal or not, but certainly you want to be into a situation that fits your skills as best as possible. And if that's what they sold him on, I can see why he chose the Hoosiers. Well, Leaf. We talked about Indiana. We talked about their kind of path to, to maintaining their solid success in the Big Ten. But what I want to talk about to close out the show is a pair of programs that had some of the worst seasons we've ever seen from Power Five programs. Uh, we're going to talk about Louisville. We're going to talk about Cal. We're going to discuss discuss how the rebuild is going for both those teams so far this offseason and, and how we think those teams might be looking improved next season. We're going to get to that right after this. I leave. Segment three, talking the Louisville Cardinals and the Cal Golden Bears. I know it's odd on a college basketball podcast to talk about these two teams. They were horrendous last season. Both finished exactly 2-18 and 18 in their conference seasons. Louisville finished 4-28 and 28 on the year. Cal 3-29. and 29. But both these programs have undergone fairly significant changes already this offseason. And I kind of want to take a look at, at how this rebuild is playing out for both teams. We'll start with the Cardinals. Uh, they kept their coach. Not the case at Cal. We'll get there. But for Louisville, they kept their coach, Kenny Payne, and his staff still around. Of course, uh, you know, not a lot of people really clamoring for Payne to lose his job this early into his tenure. But uh, I think a lot of people, fans of the program, are really hoping to see some significant changes. And and they have. They lost Kamari Lands in the portal to, to Arizona State. L. Ellis has entered the transfer portal. That's a tough loss for them as well. Jalen Withers is at North Carolina. But the big news for the Cardinals, they add Sky Clark who had kind of a tumultuous season at Illinois, but was a very highly touted freshman coming out. They add two high-profile incoming freshmen in Dennis Evans, big man who was at, I think he was committed to Minnesota, decommitted, ends up coming to Louisville. They add Trenton Flowers, who is going, planning to go to North Carolina, or at least rumored to go to North Carolina. He reclassified to the class of 2023. Now he's going to join the Cardinals as well. And now, as we're talking right now, they are rumored to be in the mix for McKenzie Gabaco. Uh, excuse me, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, a Duke decommit who's the seventh-ranked player in the class of 2023. So all of a sudden, things are looking a lot better for the Cardinals. Uh, I'm curious kind of your thoughts. I know Sky Clark's kind of the main guy that we've really seen a fair amount of who's coming into this program, but I'm kind of curious how quickly you think the Cardinals could potentially turn things around in the ACC and how good of a start they're off to with these handful of additions they've made so far. Yeah, I mean... I think the NIL is responsible mm -hmm. for yeah. for how quickly they've been able to increase the talent level. I think Kenny Payne is yet to be determined how he can coach. I think I would say based off what I saw, I'd be skeptical of how well he can coach like at a program mm -hmm. like Louisville. Mm -hmm. However, his cupboard was barren when he got there. Like there were there were not good players. Do I expect a Louisville team? Like Louisville to me is a team that's, you know, a top ten program since I've been alive. Right. And it, it was hard to see a team be that bad in ACC yeah. play. And I think that they'll end up middle of the pack this year because they've got serious talent, especially if they get Mbaco. And mm -hmm. um, one player that you, you didn't mention, that, and it's not certain, but speaking mm -hmm. of rumors, Tyler Perry from yeah. uh, North Texas, mm -hmm. uh, winners of the NIT, that that's a guy I might maybe uh, keeping my tabs up for on if mm -hmm. he ends up at Louisville um, as of, as of last night, I was reading some articles and, and he mm -hmm. listed them in his, in his top two. Mm -hmm. And and so my point being is 
it's too early to tell. You don't know who's playing where. You don't know if they're going to get the top recruits. You don't know if they're going to get Perry. Sure. But the talent level is such that that you should be on the upper half of the ACC. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying you're you're with the Blue Bloods that you traditionally right. were with, but but I think they can finish in the top seven of the ACC, mm-hmm. and that would be a success. Um, that said, I I think the Kenny Payne era is going to be largely defined by NIL, yeah. and I wonder how much coaching he's doing because so far he's been recruiting uh, yeah. and like even last year he was recruiting hard he just didn't mm-hmm. get anywhere because they had sanctions yeah it'll be really interesting to i, I think we're going to finally start to see what he can really do because like people are going to look at how sky clark performs at a new school and they're going to kind of assess his performance through the lens of kenny Payne. if sky clark ma- magically improves dramatically from what he was at illinois if his attitude improves if his performance improves like that's going to be a a positive or a negative on Kenny Payne, whether it should be or not. Uh, I I know that that's going to be used to kind of evaluate him, but I think, you know, you have to be excited as a Cardinals fan. If you see them land a player like Dennis Evans, land a player like Trenton flowers, like that is massive to be able to pick those guys up. How much NIL is involved, you know, is, is certainly a part of the, the equation, but yeah, I think the jury's still out on Kenny Payne as a coach, but it's hard to not like how aggressively he has made addition positive additions to this roster. And you mentioned Tyler Perry, and that would be a, a tremendous, tremendous addition. I'd be very curious how in the heck they're going to play five foot eleven Tyler Perry and six three, but pretty small Sky Clark together. Uh, I, I think it's kind of a two guard lineup that I think they would they would figure out certainly. And, and having Evans on the block if he's ready to contribute right away is going to be massive for them too. But yeah, I, the ACC was a bit down last year. Duke is is looking really strong right now. Getting Kyle Filipowski back, uh, getting Tyrese Proctor back. I think they're going to be in, in a really good spot. I think Miami is going to be in a really good spot depending what happens with Isaiah Wong. But uh, I do think that there's a really good chance for the Cardinal to to make some noise. I wonder what what for you how much better do they have to be for people to, to kind of not be as worried about Kenny Payne? Because if they went four and 28 last year, if they go five and 27, people are still going to be pissed. But if they win 12, 15, 18 games, like I'm curious kind of how, how, what the, what the pressure is, what the expectations are, do you think for this team? And again, the rosters aren't set. So there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen, but I'm kind of curious how quickly you think they need to turn this thing around. I think it depends if they can get Mbako. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If 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 he if you have a guy who's a potential one and done on your roster, and now mm-hmm. you you can maybe they get Perry, maybe they get whoever else. Like you right. know, you never know. Mm-hmm. But if they were to get a really really high level recruit like him, mm-hmm. I really think that the expectation would be about twenty wins. Like Louisville mm-hmm. fans are very very passionate about their basketball. Yeah. Um, that said. The way I judge it, because I don't know what their non-conference is, and that varies every year, is I judge it on how they finish in the ACC conference. Mm -hmm. And if they're eighth or above in the ACC conference Mm -hmm. this year, whether Mm -hmm. or not, no matter who they get, Mm -hmm. I think Louisville fans will think that's a success. Um, That probably amounts to about 15 wins total. Yeah. I'd say probably that's maybe, maybe even 17 there, because you probably get 10. A mm-hmm. ten in the ACC, and now you get seven non-conference. That's yeah, probably probably a success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very doable because yeah. you ta- eventually, like coaching is a huge deal in college basketball. But talent supersedes that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if they if they have a, this talented a team in a relatively down ACC as the rosters appear right now, obviously mm-hmm. in flux, uh, I think they have the capacity to do so. 
but I, I will be skeptical or cautiously optimistic about Kenny Payne. Let's move on to the Golden Bears uh, of Cal, of course, a team that was three and twenty nine last year, at two and eighteen in the Pac twelve. Which you know, ACC was down, but so was the Pac twelve. Going two and eighteen in that conference is is pretty rough. Fortunately, Cal did decide to make a move uh, in a season where I thought uh, there was probably four or five Pac twelve schools that maybe could have made coaching changes. Uh, this was the only one that did. Uh, they let go of Mark Fox, and they were able to bring in Utah Valley's Mark Madsen, Mad Dog, a longtime Stanford, uh, or kind of a legend at Stanford, a player there, of course, uh, a, play, a coach that many people thought would be the head coach at Stanford uh, coming into this season, but they have con- decided to stick with Jared Haas uh, for, the, for the Cardinal. Now, of course, the Golden Bears get Mark Madsen. Immediately after bringing in Madsen, they're able to land Dawes Amac out of the portal. Uh, Texas Tech last year, before that, he was at Utah Valley, played for Mark Madsen. Of course, that makes the connection make some sense. Uh, Amac, a huge addition for Cal. They're also able to add Jalen Cohn from Northern Arizona, a high-level guard scorer uh, at that level from NIU. So the Lights out for everyone listening. Yes, he is a lights-out shooter. So the, those two, I mean, they're they're – Let's be clear, they have eight players in the transfer portal. So this roster is going to look entirely different. Right now, the big additions are AMAC and Cone. They have a couple of recruits coming in. They're three-star guys, not anybody who seems to dramatically move the needle. But just AMAC and Cone alone feels like a, a more star power than the Golden Bears have had for a really long time. What are your thoughts on those two additions and, and, and maybe Cal's kind of opportunity to maybe not as quickly turn things around, but at least start moving in the right direction for this program? I mean, starting at the top, I think Mark Madsen's a tremendous coach. Yeah, he's like, really uh, good. Living in Utah, you get asked the question a lot, like, which program's the most likely to make the tournament? Mm-hmm. And I would have told you UVU at the start of the year because I thought they had the best chance to win their conference. Obviously, Utah mm-hmm. State did eventually yes. make it in, and they were a right. talented team. But the point, the reason I bring that up is because I think in Utah in particular, you really have this respect factor. Mm-hmm. for Mark Madsen, like the bigger names are Mark Pope, Craig Smith, but Mark Madsen has, has tremendous respect in Utah. Uh, that said, I grew up a diehard Stanford fan. I still mm-hmm. am. And yeah. I'm not pleased that he's at Cal. <laughs> and I, I'm not pleased that he's at Cal. We have a coach who's recruited well in Jared. Mm-hmm. I will give him that. He yep. has recruited well, but eight years without a tournament with yeah. some of the recruits he's had, and granted, Brutal. he's had some guys leave earlier than he should have, like uh, mm-hmm. Tyrell Terry, and they've had good teams that he hasn't foreseen, you know, the early departures. But still, like Stanford used to be a proud basketball yeah. school. And Mark Madsen was a huge part of that, the Mad Dog. And mm-hmm. I know that preceded me in terms of my watching, but, you know, I know the history of it. And now mm-hmm. he goes to Cal, unencumbered, and recruits high-level players. Daz Amak was the nation's leading double-double guy. It was him and Sheboy. Uh, yeah. two years ago and and now he's he's at cal he'll be i don't think he's quite the player he was he broke his foot yeah. um but and, and it's a it's a leap pac 12 from from uh the whack mm-hmm. however good player jalen Cohn, like i said can shoot the lights out cal hasn't had a very good player since matt bradley yeah he's been at San Diego state the last few years and even mm-hmm. then those teams are poor mm-hmm. uh cal made the tournament in 2019 i think Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2019 and a few years prior, but they've been upset each time they've made the tournament. Yeah, and I, actually, it wasn't 19. I think it, I think it was 18, 17, or 18, mm-hmm. and they lost to Hawaii. Yes, um, I remember that. <laughs> so, the the point I'm trying to make here 
is if you're going to get a guy who has a team like UVU consistently near mm-hmm. the tournament, just they, they're a one-bid league and they haven't beaten the likes of Grand Canyon or Southern Utah. Mm-hmm. They lose on a crazy game, 23-point <laughs> comeback. Yes. I think Powell's resurrection in mm-hmm. a conference like the Pac-12, which is going to become weaker when yeah. USC and UCLA lose uh, and leave and, and lose by leaving the conference <laughs> of champions, as Bill Walton would say, um, I, I think that their resurrection and, and potential mm-hmm. return to the, the NCAA tournament seems imminent just because mm-hmm. if he's able to recruit this quickly after a 3-29 and team, uh, that they've got a chance to actually recruit and, and build a program pretty well especially once it's the Pac-10 or whatever yeah. they transition to once the two power programs down south uh, decide to venture towards the Big Ten. Man, for Stanford fans watching Madsen turn Cal around in the next couple of years, if it were to happen, what a devastating turn of events that would be. It seems so predictable to me. And you're right, Haas can recruit, and he's absolutely done a good job of that. But, man, this this feels like a missed opportunity for Stanford and one that might bite him in the keister if Cal does make this transition and becomes a, a at least mid-level, potentially like tournament-caliber team out of the Pac-12. Leaf, my friend, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to continuing these draft profile segments as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft, continuing to look at all of the movement throughout the transfer portal, NIL impacts, rosters that are being turned around, all of this fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, and your expertise on the show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure hopping back on, and I appreciate you guys for having me. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Don't forget to check out the show on YouTube if you have not done so yet. We are very close to 800 subscribers and, of course, very close to 1,000 subscribers. So if you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can leave us comments on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, all of that fantastic stuff. More excellent content coming your way to close out the week and into next week as we continue to cover the transfer portal madness that is the modern era of college basketball. All right. Thank you all for listening and peace out.